Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Welcome back to... The- Get ready for some awesome. Do you want to just do the intro next time since you say that every time? Yeah. Just start. We'll yeah. just start with that next time. Okay. okay. Well, welcome to the show, friends. It's the January wrap-up. First podcast of 2018 with Jonathan Stormont. Do you have any New Year's resolutions, Jonathan? Are you a New Year's resolutions guy? Yeah, I do resolutions every year. I do uh, Michael Hyatt's best year ever most years, but this year I was not able to because my church credit card was turned <laughs> off by December <laughs> because of one trip with you really? for a series. That's yeah. weird. Why would... Uh, hmm. Could it be that just your delivery of that sermon series wasn't so good and that's why they cut it off? Because <laughs> I went on the same trip and did not have the same effect. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're still in the honeymoon phase. <laughs> they still think that you, what you do matters. Oh, and... ow. When did they stop caring about what you did, Jonathan? When did they stop thinking it mattered? <laughs> well, we're in the seven-year itch, aren't we? <laughs> That's the I'm, I've been there seven years, and it's actually like a phenomenon that preachers and churches go through. You you know each other's strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and, and mine got my church credit card turned <laughs> off. <laughs> to be clear, it was totally on me. Like I went over my budget. I wasn't. I'm not complaining or anything. What what, I, what I love the best is uh, the accountant who oversees your finances. Uh, Amy, we used to be in a small group together when I lived in Abilene and she's previously worked for what? Like Enron and what other? Right. What was it? Lehman Brothers. Yeah. So she's had bad experiences working with. He does not mess around with. You you can joke around with the pyramid scheme with her, but it does not go over well. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) <laughs> okay, so New Year's resolutions. You, do, you don't have Michael Hyatt's this year, whatever that means. So you're having to come up with your own. Yeah. And, and, um, you're not, you're not going to tell me what it is? You know, well, be nicer to you on wrap-ups. Okay, that's a good one. That's, that's my major okay. one. So we have, we have uh, gone, what, five minutes Two now? And and no insults? No, none at all. That's pretty good. Well, we'll we'll all be cheering you on. We hope that you can keep this up. Yeah, that's it's a real spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I I would like to think that you getting to talk to me. It's kind of like um, like mentoring or like spending time with like a guru. Is that mm, what you, you're making it harder already? For what? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Just just uh, I fe- I'm feeling righteous, kind of like prophetic mm-hmm. things that the Lord would like me no. to say to you. I'm no. confused on what if the Lord overrides my New Year's resolution. No. I think the Lord told you to be nicer to me, and I feel like that is, that's growth for you to be available for what God wants in your life, and that's definitely what you're doing right now. Mm. So we've got uh, the January podcast uh, to discuss. So we did a mailbag podcast, me and my friend Stephen Mackey. We had a Mac attack, sidekick, with uh, stomachs full of vegan food. And uh, yeah. so whatever you think about the podcast, it was vegan-powered. You guys only got five questions, or you only got through five questions? Um, I like to think we got through more, but it was just suddenly the last few questions, you're just kind of like, I wanted you to feel the spirit leading you to whatever answer you wanted. You know what? I would like to do... Uh, 
a mailbag with you and it just be total hot takes on controversial issues. Like what? <laughs> Pot legalization. Go. <laughs> 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 make you have to like answer all these super uncomfortable things without nuance or anything. Well, I live in Austin. I think everyone around me already acts as though it is legal, so I don't need to even answer that question. <laughs> that that oh, would gosh. be outstanding. Wouldn't that be so great just to make you do uncomfortable <laughs> hot takes on whatever the stuff of the day was? Yeah. Well, I... Uh, I have a daughter who will be a teenager in four years, so pretty much all my answers will be very, like, 1960s. Uh, no talking to boys, uh, no being around cigarettes, all that. So it'll be, it'll be fine. So do you know what the 1960s were like? No, I don't. I feel like that's... <laughs> yeah, that was like the sexual oh. revolution and the uh, flower child. I mean, like the... the LSD. Oh, I think everyone smoked back then. Isn't that mad? You might want to go to the 50s. 50s. Okay, let's do that. All right, 50s, yeah. 1950s. Um, okay, so that's why we're not going to do a mailbag with you. We also had podcast talking technology with a gentleman named Max, Max Stossel. You might know his father, John Stossel, from being on TV for years. He's like a 60 Minutes anchor or like ABC News. Oh, yeah, really? I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, your dad's famous. What's that like? But his dad is famous. <laughs> so does he have any church connection or were you just reaching out to him totally for technology? Well, the organization that he's a part of Time Well Spent is one that I kept coming into, coming in contact with while I was doing my tech series that I know you're going to rip off in a few weeks. And so I just thought, well, let me just go right to the cow's mouth. Is that how the expression goes? Horse's mouth. So let's be clear. We were going to do this series together and then the timing didn't work out. So... I, I've sent you stuff, right? Didn't I send you when, stuff for what? Technology series. No. Or was that just you? Steven? Didn't send me anything. And I didn't know Steve <laughs> Stephen was doing the series until he had finished, and I was already done with the fourth sermon. Which yeah, is a huge yeah. ripoff. So <laughs> I had to I had to write this sermon anyway. series like a caveman all by myself. I know, right? It. Don't you love doing it with other people more? Yeah, it's yeah. The, the right people. It's way better. <laughs> the right people. I, tr- I tried to do <laughs> one this January, or this my Lent series with a friend of mine who will remain anonymous, even though he's been on the podcast a few times. And he's a five. And so he's like, well, let's just kind of like read a bunch of books and then we'll just wallow around in our ideas. And I'm like, you're just a five, man. Like, we need to write and get this done. So. I don't read books. Yeah, the way to get you to do a series is to pitch going to Greece. Oh, <laughs> that's how no, seven. truth be told, you pitched the idea of going to Greece to me, and my first thought was, that's a bad idea. Remember? Yeah, I really? said, no, there's no way yeah, we, yeah. we should do that. Yeah. But lo and behold, but you now, wore me down. You, Yeah, we, we have a great series, and I have bad New Year's resolutions. There we go. So that's the... Okay. Um, what are you doing for Ash Wednesday? We're having, Speaking um, of we're going to have, on yeah, nothing's Day. more romantic than being reminded that from dust you came into dust you shall return. Well, I'm calling it till death do us part. Oh, good. Just to make sure the singles feel completely left out. <laughs> <laughs> We've already thought of that. We're trying to... <laughs> 
Just to be clear, we typically gear things towards family, but on Ash Wednesday, this is really just for married people. <laughs> yeah, who aren't going to show up. I mean, if they're single, what right? else? Can you imagine making that pitch to your spouse? Hey, uh, I know you wanted to go out to dinner. Instead of a nice romantic dinner. Let's go get ashes on our forehead. Yeah, we're doing um, like an intro to Ash Wednesday at uh, 6.15 with uh, Father Merrill from across the street. He and I are going to do kind of like a Q&A, mm-hmm. kind of like a podcast, honestly, which I probably should just use as a podcast. <laughs> I love Whoa. Thanks. Whoa, there's <laughs> an idea. This, this month has taken care of itself. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we'll do a service, which uh, we've been working on for a couple of weeks, and I think it's, uh, should we, first time doing one here at, uh, at Westover, yeah. I know, they've been, first time for them yeah. ever to have it? yeah. So you guys are doing, you guys have been doing an Ash Wednesday service for years, though. Oh, way before I got here. My first time to ever do an Ash Wednesday service, I was really? preaching it. Yeah. Huh. They weren't happy, when I was in school, they didn't have it at Island, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, which is weird as a seven, like you typically think like, you know, fun, optimistic, high energy kind of stuff. But the things that really connect to me at this stage of my life are the things that are very somber and contemplative, which is what Ash Wednesday is. And so I'm... I'm really excited about what we're going to do. I don't, I don't know how, uh, how much of a culture shock it's going to be for some people, uh, what we're going to do, but we'll see. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good thing. If you want to have a good life, keep death yeah. close. Speaking of death, we had a podcast. Are we skipping? No, I was just, walk, I was just saying we that we, we have those. Um, and truth be told, I might have thought, hey, I need to write this Ash Wednesday sermon oh yeah, there's a book about death I need to read and that's why I'm doing the podcast. So if you're wondering so far how this, yeah. uh, this month's podcast went, I, I was just writing sermons. That's all it was. Yeah. That, that actually, I would abuse that way more if I were huh? you. Just whatever series I had coming up. I'm sorry, Harper One. I, I'm, uh, I'm only taking things about... Book of Ecclesiastes, right now. Yeah, yeah, that's not how how I roll usually. Um, but uh, yeah, so going back to technology, I don't know how much to talk about this that podcast because I've been preaching on technology for the entire month. And okay, so I'm getting ready for a mm-hmm. series on it, and I I really appreciated the podcast. Um, the 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 stuff that I thought was fascinating was hearing him talk about being an insider and just realizing what I w- what he was doing with his life wasn't making the world better yep. if anything it was making yep. it worse I, and the kind of internal crisis the tech community is having yeah, to face yeah that's that i told a story about a guy who created a game called flappy birds or yeah that's the name and it did super well it got to the top of the um, iTunes free free download chart. It was making $50,000 a day in ads. And then he goes, you know what? This isn't good for people. And people are saying it's like a crack or cocaine. It's so addictive. And so he just said, I'm just going to pull the game and get rid of it. And so he gave up tons of money because it's not good for people. And I think that's very impressive to see the character of people. And, and that's like you asked before if, if Max had any religious connection. And he, by birth, he, he's Jewish ethnically, but he's not a practicing Jewish person religiously. And I think these are the kind of conversations where you can have people coming from different worldviews 
together because of a shared understanding of a crisis like this or the influence this is having on people's, whatever language you'd use, if you want to say mind or soul or heart or whatever. But I, I really enjoyed that. I like that, that aspect of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a guy at our church who I, I think I've told you this, worked on the, uh, what was the particle? The, uh, man, it was the, the thing, uh, the scientific breakthrough of the last decade. Twitter? No. <laughs> You're the wrong person to have this conversation <laughs> with. Anyway, he's, he, uh, he's working on technology stuff right now, and specifically microdata and the way it can data target. And he said it's the Manhattan Project of our generation. Wow. Um, just being able to figure out how to, because this is incredibly powerful. We, for the first you know, 10, 15 years, we haven't had any kind of boundaries on it without We've been very positive yep. without realizing the consequences of, of inviting this much technology into our lives. Yep. And so, like, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about that interview, and I mean really fascinating, is his thing with that point where you were talking with him about how uh, Facebook gets people into echo chambers. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's way worse than that. They don't just get you in echo chambers. They also, with their algorithms, they have it set to get in your newsfeed, not just somebody from the other point of view, but the worst possible version of it. Yep. Like, without nuance, just, you know, because not only does um, self-reinforcing biases keep you in in the app, but so does rage. Yep. And I just thought. Oh my gosh! It's hard to it's hard to not be cynical at this point about social media. Yeah, like because perfectly good people are monsters. Yep. They say things through their keyboard that they would never say to a real life human being who's actually on the other side of that screen reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, and it- and it. It's almost like a principality and power that must be resisted. And it, that's literally the the language I used in my sermon two days ago. That it's a power principality of this age. That it really is because it's in, my point in the series for four weeks. I just try to say one thing: don't be naive to the fact that this is not neutral. It impacts you. It shapes you. It shapes how we do community and social media polarizes so much. And it's interesting that. An echo chamber almost requires a scarecrow argument of the other side. So p- part of the mm-hmm. formation of our echo chambers is having a caricature of the other side that's like the worst version of it, so that you don't humanize it, you don't get to know it, you just think, oh, that's those idiots over there don't have anything worthwhile to share. And that create further yeah. like intensifies the, you know, oh, the, yeah. the chamber. Yeah. So did you read Beck's blog today? Uh, I'm, I'm, no. So it's on uh, on on good food, good friends, and good wine. How not to be how not to be transgressive, and he's talking about that. Uh, you, you know how so many people have said, you know, their idea of church is getting around a table with good food, good friends, and good wine. And he's like, he says, it's so great, man. I love Richard Beck. He says when people say that. Their economic privilege is showing so much, I feel embarrassed for them. Because I, your pottery barn-worthy ta- tables 
do not have any people who you didn't like pick out of a hand out of a catalog for yourself. You know, like show, he says, show me where your Trump supporter and Black Lives Matter um, people are breaking bread together, and I will show you of a table worthy of Jesus's attention. Something like that. Wow. All that to say, like, yes, that's really Isn't that good. good. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is what you were getting at in that podcast with your technology guy. I can't remember his name. Max. Max. Um, it, that. This is what church is doing in their better moments. The, you know, I, I literally said on the Sunday after the election this year, um, look around at each other. Like, these people aren't monsters. Mm-hmm. People who voted differently than you, they're, they're not. Yeah. Um, just trying to humanize whatever touch point you can use to rehumanize people because yep. that algorithm's not making us friends. No. It's uh, it's monetizing our echo chambers. It's monetizing our anger, and it's monetizing our fear. And that's what... It's great for them. It's great for... If my New Year's resolution just kicked in, because if it wasn't for my New Year's resolution, I would say, if someone could monetize my anger for you, they would become incredibly rich. Hmm. Because of my resolution, don't, I'm not going to say anything I don't, close to I don't, that. I don't feel like that. that's really... You know, it's a good thing you were so rude to me, but because my new best friend Bob Goff would never talk to me that way. He would always Bob be, Goff would never talk to anyone. The he way wouldn't talk. We talked to each other. He wouldn't talk to me the way you talk to me. And I think, you know, if you need to say that kind of stuff in a passive aggressive way to keep your legalistic commitment <laughs> to New Year's resolution, that's fine. Because I already have my love bank full. It's full. It's full. How long does the Bob Goff love bank last? I don't know. How long can you ride high on? Probably forever. We're we're basically best friends at this point. So you've got a cell phone number. Everyone does, but <laughs> that's so true. So uh, you know, I've done that event with the the men's ministry at the hills thing, which is a really great event, right? Yeah, it is. It's gotten better and, in the last uh, two years. I think they just got better. Shut your mouth, speakers. <laughs> So, uh, but with Bob Goff before. And so um, at one point, you know, there's always a huge line to go hug Bob Goff. Mm-hmm. At one point I heard a, 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 like a teenage boy from another church, I didn't recognize him, say, hey, why didn't you call me back? And he was <laughs> like, or I called you. And I was like, man, you have no idea how many people call ah. this guy. He said he gets like 300 emails a day or something ridiculous like that, which yeah. I can't. I mean, he obviously loves it. And so I got to spend time with him before uh, the the thing started and afterwards. And he's just consistently so much energy and so much like life. I, I almost was like, man, I, I need to calm it down just a little bit. You know what he is for evangelicals? He is what Pope Francis is for the rest of the Christian world. That's so true. Yeah. He is the evangelical Pope in that he is like the uh, the thing we wish we all could be. And, you know, I think Pope Francis was great because he kind of captured the world's imagination mm-hmm. for the way of Jesus again. And, like, showed him a little bit of what would be missing if, if Christianity wasn't here. Mm-hmm. You know, kissing a leper or... You know, transgressive mercy, those kind of things. 
And uh, Bob Goff, his whimsy, his like, uh, do you remember what reading love does for the first time did to you? Do you remember that? I, I mean, I read his new book and it's just like love does. I, I remember, um, reading that book and it's, it changed my life in a lot of ways. I mean, my palms are always up when I'm in conflict situations, those kind of things. But it, it, that was where I got the idea to take kids with me on trips Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, uh, trying to be, but anyway. So he's the the Pope of evangelicals. That's that's interesting because walking around with him and people wanting to touch the hem of his garment, uh, definitely. I, honestly, I before the podcast, I talked to my friend Annie, who's kind of friends with Bob, and I said, Annie, okay, what should I expect with this conversation with Bob? And she said, here's the thing about Bob. You have people like, you know, Rick Ashley for us, or Erwin McManus, or you know Tim Keller, Rob Bell, or whoever, and many people like idolize them, and they want they they want to be like him, especially if they're in the same profession. But the thing with Bob is that people don't idolize him as much as they they want to be around him, like they want to be best friends yeah. with Bob. And you have the sense like you you really are kind of his. And so she tells me this, and I'm like, yeah, I like that's not. Like I'm not going to do that, and I won't get sucked. I'm into not going to get sucked in, and so the. When I first, we're in the green room 30 minutes beforehand and we start talking and the next thing I know, it's two minutes before we're supposed to go on stage and I've completely lost track of time. I've been sucked. I started to get sucked in. I thought, okay, no, no, I can get out. We're going to do the podcast and I'll be home free. I will live independently of the Bob Goff vortex. So the podcast ends, shaking, hey, great meeting, blah, 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 enjoyed it. Walk off. And then we find ourselves back in the green room. We're the only ones there and I'm talking to him like, 30 feet away from him. Like I'm in my seat and he's at his seat in his section. And I'm like talking with my arms folded and kind of across the room. And within a few minutes, I'm literally with it. I pulled a chair up right next to him and I'm like looking at his computer going, oh, tell me how you write talks. Okay, show me how you do your slide. And I've... Oh, I would love to know how he writes talks. His... Go ahead. I I was just saying I got sucked in. He's the best preacher who would fail any seminary class on preaching. Yeah, yeah. Like, because he would say he focus and function is not. He he's trying to do. He's trying to talk to the guy who doesn't want to be there, and so he thinks if I can get you to laugh, then I can get you to to listen to some gospel truth, and so he's just going to throw a bunch of. It, I've compared it in the past to like a stand up act where you just do bum bum oh, bum yeah. bum 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 like there's a rhythm yeah. to it where he funny story point funny story point and that's what he's doing and. There's a, there's a space for that. Oh yeah, it's you never walk away from Bob Goff thinking uh, that was boring or I'm you know you, you always feel a little bit challenged. Um, the and it, it's more like his, who he is as a person that is coming out than a particular message. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting if you had to hear him preach for. 12 weeks in a row like what what that would turn into because i don't yeah i i i would imagine you know erwin mcmanus i i once heard him say a long time ago that if you want to be a better preacher live a better life hmm. and um i so i would think that is gonna just keep coming 12 weeks in you know like mm-hmm. he's i don't i don't see him running out of stories that that sounds about right yeah, I get that for sure. 
he did this thing about uh, new uh, new dashboards where you need to recalibrate like what matters to you the most, and it's no longer you know successful cases or you know for him in, in, in his law world. And recalibrate your dashboards of what matters the most to you. It should be like how you love your spouse and how you take care of your kids if you have them. And like I could just see all the guys in the room going, you're right, that's exactly it. And he gave them that right. little like, it's almost like a, a funnier like Coach Taylor kind of pep talk. Like, hey guys, this is what you do. You can do this. Right. Keep going. Why do you think that's not how people are taught to preach in seminar? Why do you think that's not how most like, most of us learned how to do what we do. You know what? I was just thinking about this within the last couple of weeks because so much of preaching is motivating. Like, you know, come on, y'all, we can do this. If we all work together, we can, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and there's not a lot of like, uh, I, I guess you just have to know that naturally. Or I don't even know how a seminary would do it. Um, I think McManus' suggestion of you live a better life, you're going to have better stories to tell. And yeah, I, the best preaching comes from lived experience. It comes from who you are. I mean, any, anyone knows that honesty is the best, uh, the best thing to communicate. And I didn't want to say honesty is the best policy, but that's exactly what I was trying to say. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. So... No, I'm just I'm listening. No, it's good. It, that's that's my point. I'm done. You know, at the end of Elf when I saw it, when the movie first came out, I was sad afterwards because I thought, I wish somebody like Buddy the Elf really existed. And then I met and got to hang out with Bob Goff. There's there, there he is. is. Just a warm, cuddly, just a encouraging guy. Super excited. Super fun, super innocent. Mm-hmm. Super fun, super anyway. full of life, exciting, which in some ways is just like Caleb, the funeral director. <laughs> that was a great podcast. Because, like, that was such a downshift. Do you, you get feedback for podcasts? Yeah, I mean, I have people talk about it. Do you get feedback for that one? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, can we cuss here? We can <laughs> cuss here. You, you can if it. If it moves the story forward and serves some kind of artistic <laughs> purpose, then, you know, of course, surely no elder that I report to would have a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we are, we are not cussing, <laughs> sir. You are cussing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm encouraging my own statement. That's good. So Caleb, his book came out, didn't do the podcast back in the fall, and uh, just came up because, like I said, because I was thinking of Ash Wednesday. And I don't know if I just, I think I was ready to have a very somber conversation, but if you live in the world that he lives in, like he says, he he lives in Holy Saturday, like that is day in and day out. There's no way you could be an Enneagram 7 and be a funeral director. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, huh? I I wonder about that. I'm sure there's people out there who are. um, Well, yeah. But... There's just, I think living in death would shape how you experience life. It would create. Sure. Didn't you have, did Randy tell you to do this? Or is this just a Randy thing that you didn't do? But where at one point he jumps in like a, uh, 
a hole in the ground that's dug in a cemetery that yeah we did, you that. did that i did a series for called how to die and this guy who grew up in iran who goes to highland um he said hey there's this muslim tradition that i grew up doing where once a year you would go and lay in your own grave you would go and lay in a grave for like 10 15 minutes and and meditate on your life and death and uh, he's like you want to do that and I was sure, so I took my intern at the Zane Witcher at the time, and Randy, and we all went and laid. <laughs> a grave. How did you first? Of all, how did you find a like, grave to get in? Well, okay, so uh, my my friend Hussein uh, actually went to a grave and asked, and they were so confused about what it is. We were like, "Are you are you wanting to like try this out for purchasing purposes for the future? Like, you know, this is comfortable or." <laughs> And so when when we got there, they were like, uh, "Let us show you here." And um, so we went, and there was a family that was there. They weren't there when we climbed in. There was another family that was there when we climbed in, and that was really weird. And then they left, and another family came, and they saw us climb out, which was really <laughs> weird for them. <laughs> Did you have a ladder or something to get to the bottom? Uh, we used like pallets, like those wooden okay. pallets. So it was actually not very safe, but um, we took pictures. Oh, actually, on the background right now of my computer, I just realized this. I took a picture of the sky and see the walls of dirt that I'm looking at right now on this like cloudy April day of lying from a. And it was weird because there was. Well, never mind. I won't get it. Okay, but what did. Okay, you're in there, you're meditating. What what was the experience like? I mean, it brings immediate clarity. The it really is. I mean, it it sounds like gimmicky or something just to to do this, and and on some level it was. Uh, I was doing a series, yep. and uh, a member has this idea, and and we're gonna do it. But there is something about doing it, you know, that you. You once you get past the like, oh, this is gonna be a funny story. You realize my body will one day lay in this forever, yep. and um, that it's just it, it's uh, it brings clarity, kind of helps you prioritize. Yep. And I, that's probably a better uh, husband and father for no. a while. I've found myself after doing certain funerals having the same experience of, okay, people are eventually going to talk about me. My kids are eventually going to have to verbalize their experience. And I want the words that come to their mind to be a certain thing about me. And I want to live into that. And at some point, like everything's gone and it'll just be the love that I share with the people closest to me. And I want that to be meaningful. And yeah, Mm -hmm. again, going back to Ash Wednesday, like that is the most like the tangible benefit that I've experienced so far in participating in services is that it reminds you like, this is not it. So use it well. Um, one of the questions, I think I got this question from you when I was talking to Caleb, you said, how would you, how would he suggest doing a kid's funeral? Yeah. And his answer was, what was it? Like, like, be, be silent. Like, you know, uh, don't give yeah, solutions. Yeah, is, I mean, just yeah. and he kept on going back to the, like the power of silence and the significance of silence. That like, in, 
the biggest fear of death is the silence that you, you, you can't run, you can't hide. It just, it is what it is. There's a couple things I thought listening to that interview. And one is, I wonder if death is not the main weight he carries in life. If it is stupid words in the face of death. Hmm. Because being a funeral director, you're not the one over how you're going to say goodbye to your loved ones. And I've sat through funerals and heard people, I've, I've sat through people saying great things about, you know, <clears throat> doing, doing funerals well. You know, we, we don't have answers to tragedy. God's not trying to answer every tragedy. And I've sat through some that were just, you know, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And and I would I would imagine silence seems like a pretty good response to death after you sit through yeah. all those. Yeah. What did you think about uh, his response to the question about resurrection? He talked about how he lived in Holy Saturday, and how much yeah. resurrection really wasn't uh, in the equation for him at this point. Yeah. Um, well, did you start I mean, burning his book at the moment he said that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've got the voodoo doll and I started poking mm-hmm. the legs yep. there. Well, I, I mean, I think that I would, I would, I understand that. I mean, when you see that, when you're that close to death and maybe you hear a lot of glib cliche things said about resurrection, that it might start to seem, uh, even more impossible than it already yeah. is. So there's that. Um, I wonder, you know, what what good news it is, what ho- good news Holy Saturday is to the people in the hospital with stage four chemo or with stage four cancer going through chemo or you know, the, the people that he's actually ministering to. I think when I die, I want somebody who believes in resurrection to do my funeral. Um, and I, 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 I believe in the resurrection. I think it's without it, everything kind of falls apart. Um, we're to be pitied above all fools if, if it didn't happen. But, you know, he, he also... There's some people who don't believe in the resurrection, and they're pretty sure of it. They have a very strong belief in not the resurrection. And he didn't strike me as that either, kind of open. Yeah. Holy Saturday is a good way to say it. And, and yeah. I don't think I feel comfortable saying that he said he doesn't believe in resurrection. I, I think his statement about I live in Holy Saturday connects. And when you're saying— Yeah, that's great. When you're, when you're saying you that. want someone to do the service who believes in resurrection— if that's your way of asking me, I will. And as much, <laughs> I, I thought it was my way of ruling you oh, out. Oh, come on. I, <laughs> but like you said. Is what I would say if I had to make this <laughs> New Year's resolution. <laughs> You're not doing so good. I, it, it seems like some people might find themselves having a, a stronger conviction about resurrection because they live in this, and some might sit more in the... Sat, but they might jump to Sunday more because of this. Or, I, I don't know, but um. you're right. No, that it, it, it can break both ways. 
um, depending on, and you, you've seen it, like uh, people in developing countries. Yeah, um, obviously. Or, or people, I, mean, I have a hundred people flashing them before my eyes right now thinking of how, the, what's that quote, that old uh, Russian official said about the Christian martyrs in Russia? Uh, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you drive, the deeper yep. it goes. Yeah. Um, but there is a there is a sense in in that. But Holy Saturday is part of it. And on that Saturday, nobody thought that was the one day that, as far as we know of, nobody in the world thought Jesus was alive. Yep. And there's a I, and you know maybe maybe there's a distinction to make between believing in the resurrection and believing in your own personal afterlife. Hmm. You know, how so? like the well, I, I I wouldn't make this distinction, but I do think that the resurrection doesn't first mean, and so we all go to heaven. Um, you know, there's life after death. That's not what it means first. The resurrection means Jesus is who He said He was mm-hmm. all along. It is God's verdict mm-hmm. for Jesus and against death, and a, against the principality and power that is death, and and how. You know, God's good world, God hasn't given up mm-hmm. on it. And, you know, all these things that, that, you know, so the resurrection today, it's a litmus test of whether you're conservative or not, if mm. you believe in it. Resurrection is the least conservative doctrine in Christianity. You know, there's a reason the Sadducees, the rich aristocrats, did not like the idea of resurrection. Because mm. oh. it turns everything upside yep. down. That's true. Okay, so his book was kind of like his pursuit to find a new view on death. And so he had what he called a death-negative narrative, where there's nothing nothing good in death. Have you found yourself having to, like, reevaluate your view of death? Has it changed over the last 10, 15 years? Because if I'm being honest, I don't know if my view of death really has changed as much. I... And maybe I need to do more introspection on it, but maybe you know the I, I, death is the last enemy to be mm-hmm. defeated in both Christianity and Harry Potter. So let's be clear on which the, one like, is more. This is a formative broad. for you of those two. <laughs> um, Don't answer. The, I want you to keep your job. Okay, so it's the last enemy to be defeated. <laughs> Yes, the last enemy to be defeated. It's never good. And you remember that uh, C.S. Lewis quote where he said, you know, like there's there's this temptation in post-Christian Britain to say God is in everything. He would say, uh, Christianity would say, if you're talking about God being in cancer and in death and in pot impoverished slums, then don't talk damned nonsense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the actual quote, just so you know. Because I know we don't no, cuss we don't. on this show. Those that moves the story forward and has artistic or rhymes. But anyway, like <laughs> Okay. So it it's not death. I, I think there's a temptation to kind of like uh and I I didn't read his book. I've read I've read uh, his blog before, and I really mm-hmm. like I really like him. Um, but I would not say that death is good. I think God is redeeming even death, even yep. you know. I still think my jump is like this isn't the end, 
And our hope is that this is bad and this is a loss and we're, we're allowed to hurt and we're allowed to feel grief and shame, not shame, grief and like regrets are going to come up and all the stuff that's going to come up. But I think the Christian hope still says like, this, this isn't the end. Like that there is something on the other right. side of it. And yeah. So, uh, Hey, by the way, um, you, you remember that line where he said, uh, tradition is just, oh, I knew you were going to, the dead speak. Oh, you, he said yeah. that. I was like, Oh, I'm storming like that. Storming's little heart warmed up for that one. Why? Because that's Why something that? I feel like you've said that before. Because it's G.K. Chesterton. Oh. You listen to G.K. Chesterton. You love G.K. Chesterton's stuff until you hear his name. G.K. Chesterton said, tradition is the democracy of the It is a dumb dead. name. It is refusing to be ruled about by that, that uh, very elite aristocracy, that, er, or however you say that word, um, that just happens to be walking around, refusing to be ruled by just them. Whatever. The quote's fine. The name is still dumb. <laughs> Is it? I'm telling you. What is you'd like him like handing down? Doesn't that come from like tradition? Trade, trade. Like you're just trading down. I, I like Latin. the concept. I think it is a solid concept, and we shouldn't like the quote intends. Like we shouldn't overvalue what we think over the over tradition. I, I think in our world, yeah. tradition has been so elevated, and the voice of the dead has become so loud that you can't hear new voices. So I well. Here's the here's the thing. The voice of the dead is pretty big. I mean, if you're talking about the voice of the dead 80 years ago versus the voice of the dead 1500 years ago, you know, I think I think they've got different perspectives. I I, I agree, but you know the voice I mean? is the tradition that we typically receive is the one from 80 years ago or 50 years ago or what my what my mom told me when I was growing up. Like that that's the tradition that has been given an unnecessary weight at the expense of the longer view. Now, obviously, it is a bit naive and simplistic to think that the voices of hundreds of years before aren't underneath. Like, so, so we might hear one note, but all the other notes underneath that are the voice of generations and generations past. I get that. But still, we typically are privileging, privilege, privileging tough word for me to say, <laughs> the near dead. That's my point. Yeah. The, the near, near dead. dead. Like they're, yeah, they're, they're still a little bit warm. Um, <laughs> um, today we're saying goodbye to the near dead. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about next month. Yeah, what's coming up next month? <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, speaking of Erwin McManus, I definitely don't want you to. Oh. I would like to be. I would like to be totally mad when I die when I go to my He's too warm, but there's a good chance he doesn't make it. He's just in a deep sleep. Oh, terrifying. Okay, um, who would you ask to do your funeral right now? Oh, I don't know you. Rick, maybe Randy, Rick, Rick Ashley, or Randy. You'd ask Harris, me to do or? like the welcome or like the prayer or something. 
<laughs> some might be. Mm-hmm. Some might be. Because it would be a know? great day for me. Um, no. No. <laughs> uh, would you somberly go, get ready for some awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be your role we had this we had this connection <laughs> we were always together getting ready for some awesome and Jonathan has gone to that true awesome okay well I'm going to write this down and save it for the for when those diet cokes finally do you in what about you who's who, so did I did I just Try out what I would probably do is audition. go through all the reviews of the podcast on iTunes and whoever said the nicest stuff, just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he was a husband <laughs> and father, but here, yeah, you know, that drive home from work every day, he just really helped <laughs> that a few times a month. And I'm grateful. <laughs> but, I mean, he asked me to leave a review, and that was a whole lot of work. So I did give him 14 seconds of my life, and so I definitely deserve to be here now. No, okay, no, whatever. I don't know. We'll, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll. Uh, what comes uh, next like we said, Erwin McManus, he's up next. And oh, cool. The guy was brilliant. Like, I was, I literally at one point... Like, still got it, huh? Had to cover my mouth because I was like slack jawed, like, oh my goodness, that was so insightful. And anyway, good conversation with him. I uh, got a couple others scheduled. I've got uh, someone you'll love, a Calvinist. His name is Jared, I think his last name's Wilson. Um, anyways, you've got Jared Wilson coming on? That's yeah, the Gospel Coalition, Coalition guy. guy. Like, he's really Calvinist. Yeah, that's, that's like a. He's, he's a thoroughbred. You keep telling people that, uh, calling people Calvinist. This is a this legit is a real Calvinist. like a real Cal. That's his name, right, Jared? What's he talking? Yeah, he's about? Got, he's a got a book, book out, out? Um, that it's like on it's on the Holy Spirit, which I will read tonight. FYI, in case you're wondering why I didn't know so much about it. Um, but yeah, he's got a book on the Holy Spirit. So, well, you guys. You'll have more in common than you do different, so you'll have plenty to talk about. Are, are you going to bring up the... You bring up Calvinism so much, you've got to bring it up I'd, with someone. His publisher said, hey, would you yeah. have this book on? I said, I would like to talk to this guy, but be aware this is the position I'm coming from, which is not a Calvinist position, and uh, just I don't want him to be surprised, but i like to talk to him. So that was my warning I gave him through the publisher, and he said yes yeah, still, so whatever. Anyway, so cool. we'll... Um, We'll see how that goes. And N.C. Wright's got a book, and I, I hope at some point this month we'll get that scheduled. His book on Paul. Cool. Oh, that comes out February, so. right? Have you, have I you read have it already? I haven't it yet. So I'm kind of secretly crossing my fingers, hoping it's not going to be like the 1,500 word or 1,500 page version. I hope oh, it's like right. the pop version that's no like kidding. 200. Okay. I think it is. I think it is. Yes. I think it's like... Uh, well, that guy's written so much on. He's written so mm-hmm. much on everything. So, <coughs> well, cool. I look forward to that, man. Yep. Sounds like a good month. This last good. one was good too. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you being ready for some awesome. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>